As you see um, on your handout, my title is uh, Advent, a picture of something greater. And I said I'm pretty excited about tonight's uh, passage because, or, or set of passages really, because it ties in together a few things we've been talking about. On one hand, we've been talking about Advent, right? Uh, for the past few weeks, we've been lighting candles, we've been talking to our children about it, we've been celebrating it as a congregation, and yet also, Pastor has been doing an evening series on life after death. And uh, for whatever reason, this just is, is something that came to me, and, and I, I was reflecting on it a little bit myself this week, and I thought it was a cool topic. I think there's something that we can learn from the way in which we celebrate Advent, and how that might apply to the way in which we look forward to Christ's second advent. Okay? And, and it, that's just simply a way of referring to his second coming. I don't know if you've ever heard of it referred to in that way, but some people call his second coming his second advent. Advent just simply means appearing or coming. So we have two advents of Christ. The first one where he came as a baby, and then the second where he will appear again, this time on a white horse, uh, coming back to uh, establish justice and, and eradicate sin and, and defeat the devil fully. Um, and, and I think as we've been celebrating uh, Christmas Advent, there's a lot of things that I was reflecting upon, just similarities between that and the way that the Bible tells us we should look forward to Christ's second Advent. More similarities than I realized before. Um, so it's, it's been an exciting time. Um, it's... It's been uh, cool for me to be able to sit down with my kids and with my family uh, and to be able to celebrate this throughout this past month. Um, I might have mentioned to you that we were using a devotional by John Piper, which I might have mentioned in a previous Sunday night service. And that's been cool. Uh, in a previous year, we used a Nancy, Nancy Guthrie book. And, uh, and generally, each night, we've had a chance as a family to talk about what Christmas means, what the first Advent means, um, speak a little bit of, of, of words from Scripture, sing together, sing Christmas carols, pray together, and, uh, and it's been really cool, a really awesome time. But as we celebrated Advent together as a family, there was something that bothered me, and something that's bothered me for quite some time, and that is that there's no Christmas Day candle. Okay, no, no, no candle to finish the whole thing out. And I, I've never understood that. I grew up in a Methodist uh, church um, before I graduated high school, and we celebrated Advent there. And, and I was always baffled by the fact that it just kind of stopped. Uh, we had a middle candle in, that, that we don't use here, but that was for our Christmas Eve service. So after you lit all four of the candles around, you'd, you'd like this big center one that was often a different color for Christmas Eve. And that was like your last one. But it's always seemed strange to me that as we celebrated this, there was nothing for Christmas Day. After all, that's what you're waiting for. That's what you're celebrating. And then it just stops and you don't have any way to finish the whole thing out. So this this year, I just decided to break 2000 years of tradition and light a fifth candle on Christmas Day to kind of figure, you know, just to round it all out. I figured, you know, why not? Uh, it's the culmination, again, of everything we've been waiting for. The wait was finally over. And, and on that day, we celebrated the fact that Jesus had come into the world. And because he had come, that means he had also accomplished what he set out to do. That is, die on the cross for our sins and defeat the works of the devil. But then that's where I, I began to tie it together a little bit for our family. I said to our kids, I said, you know what, that's not all. For just as Christ came a first time, also he is going to come a second time. 
And when he does, he's going to fully wipe out sin and defeat the devil once and for all and reign over us as king forever and ever. And I told the kids, just as we waited in this Advent season for Christ to come as a baby, so too Advent serves as a small picture of how we will now wait for Christ's second coming. It's a way of practicing our waiting, I think. Uh, and, and that's what I shared with our kids on Wednesday. And, and I thought that was something worth meditating on tonight. You see, what do we do when Christmas is all over and the Advent season is complete? Well, you know, the, the spirit soon wears off, as Pastor was talking about last week. All the decorations come down and we're quickly reminded that we're back in this broken world where we're living before Christmas came. And, and with that being the case, what does Advent have to teach us going forward into the new year? And here's my answer for you tonight. Advent gives us a picture of our own waiting and anticipation as we look forward to this day when Christ comes again. So is this celebration of Advent just something we do uh, for a month and then has no relevance for the rest of our year? I don't think it has to. Rather, I think it can teach us something about how we wait during the other 11 months of the year and not just for another Christmas, but for something even greater when Christ comes again. So what I'd like to do is go over some of the similarities that I see between celebrating Advent and, and awaiting Christ's second Advent, and that is his coming again. And we'll draw out application along the way. And I hope you'll see that this isn't just a connection that I'm making kind of off the top of my head. There's a lot of scripture passages here, and I hope to point them out to you. So let's follow along together in this, in this outline that I have. Um, the first similarity, and that is that we have a promise that Jesus will come again. Jesus told his disciples that he would return during his earthly ministry. If you see in John 14, 3, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. and I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. So he promised that um, during his earthly ministry. And then angels reminded the apostles that he would return when Jesus ascended into heaven. You see in Acts 1, 11, they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way that you have watched him go into heaven. OK, so happens the promise is made during his ministry after he is ascended. And then finally, in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it ends with this promise that Jesus will return. Chapter 22, verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Therefore, I would say that God wants us to know that it is a sure thing. He repeats it several times for us. He wants us to know this is a promise that he has made and it's going to come to pass. Well, how, that's, how is that related to Advent? Well, you've got to remember that the Old Testament saints were promised that a Messiah would come as well. They were waiting for a promise of their own. And you see, when we celebrate Advent, we have to only wait 25 days or so until Christmas. But we've got to keep in mind that the prophets of old waited a lot longer than we do. And I don't know if you remember this from last year when we had the kids all up, up front. I had given them a streamer. I think it was Malachi who had taken that and just unrolled it around and around out there to show a timeline. How long the children of Israel had to wait in comparison to the, some of the things we wait for. You know, in comparison to that, our waiting for our birthday or for Christmas to come is a short sliver in if we want to make a little bar graph of it. But but that waiting of theirs ex extended out 
for a long time when they were waiting for the Messiah to come. And we see they had promises. We see them written here for you. Genesis 49:10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. I could have gone all the way back to creation with Adam and Eve, where it says at the fall that there was going to be this offspring of Eve that would crush the serpent's head. That could be very well the first uh, promise of a Messiah to come. But I just figured I'd start with something a little bit more clear, and that's Genesis 49. Then we have Isaiah 11. It says, Then a shoot shall spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Then Micah 5, 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth from me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. These are some of the most clearest like predictions of Jesus' first coming. And they're very specific. Micah talking about um, him coming from Bethlehem. And Isaiah talking about him being from the stem of Jesse. And Genesis saying he's from the, the line of Judah. Specific details about who he's going to be. There are other passages, I'm sure, and I didn't want to take up your, your space with all of them. But you see here that the Old Testament saints did not know when this Messiah would come, only that he would come someday. And so in like manner, point B, we don't know when Jesus will return in our own situation. Matthew 24. But of that day, no one knows, not even the angel or of heaven nor the son, but the father alone. Now, I don't have time to get into the details of that passage. You look at that and, wow, there's a bunch of things that are confusing about that. Why is it that the son himself doesn't know? Big question, big complicated question. I don't know that I'm prepared to answer that tonight. And I'm not sure that there are many easy answers to that particular question. But the reason I quote it for you tonight is just to get the idea across that you and I, we don't know. That's the general point of that passage. Nobody knows the time. And... um, And for anybody who might try to predict the end of the world, I think we just had one of those. And I said the end is coming soon from some uh, off Christian group or whatever. And surprise, surprise, it didn't come to pass. Uh, To those groups, I would just say, what part of nobody knows don't we understand? Okay, it's pretty straightforward. I don't know how that's missed so often. But we don't know. And that's just like how it was in the Old Testament times waiting for Christ's first coming. Further, it's not our place to know. In Acts 1, 6 through 8, the highlighted part says it's not for you to know the times or epochs or the, that the Father is fixed by his own authority. That is to say, God doesn't want us to be caught up with trying to figure out when this will happen, examining the stars and trying to find secret codes in the Bible and all that, or to concern ourselves with the exact time or moment. He wants us instead to be focused on the work that he has us to do, and that is evangelizing the lost. But we'll get into that a little bit more later. All we need to know is that it will happen. It is enough for us to believe the promises God has made and to trust in them. Now, we do know, point two, that Jesus did tell his disciples that he is coming quickly. Revelation 22, 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And he also says it in 22, verse 7 and 22, 12, which I haven't listed for you, but they say the same basic thing. That I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. Three times in one chapter. And therefore, we should think of it as such. That it could happen at any day. 
Further, first Thessalonians chapter five, um, verse one, one and two, not one through eleven. I'm sorry, that's misprinted. Now, as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written for you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now, I I quote that with a little bit of a, a qualifier, because there's another portion of Scripture that says, you know, you are not living in darkness, us believers, that the day should overtake you as a thief. So when he says as a thief, in some ways he's speaking more to unbelievers than to us. Okay, a thief in the sense that it's sudden, you don't expect it, you weren't ever planning for it to happen. We know, of course, that's not true of us. We are planning for it to happen. And so in that sense, it's not going to suddenly take us off guard like we're going to be caught unprepared. But the general idea is that it's going to come suddenly. It's going to come suddenly. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming suddenly. You get the idea. And now you might say, well, 2000 years have passed. Um, How can that be quickly? Okay, it says I'm coming quickly, but really, Pastor Dave, it's been a long time. How do you reconcile that? That leads to my next point. Point C, because God has promised it. All we need to know is that it will come to pass. Joshua 21, 45. And these are verses about God's promises. In the past, we see not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Second Corinthians 1, 20. And this is more relevant to what we're waiting for. For as many as the, are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore, through him is our amen, through, our, through the glory of God, through us. Okay, that's all we really need to know. This is where reflecting on Advent can help us. When we celebrate Advent, we're reminded that all of God's promises that he had made about the Messiah came true. You know, as we were reflecting on these things all throughout the month of December, it's not that there was any question in our mind as to how this is going to turn out. Is God going to send his son into the world? Kids, I don't know. It's kind of a toss up. It's up in the air. No, we didn't say that. It's because we live after the fact. We've seen it happen. We know from Scripture it happened. And we see that God is faithful and true to his promises. And that should tell us something about promises that are given to us that have not yet been realized. That we can have the same certainty as when we tell our kids, yes, Jesus Christ came. He was born of a virgin, just as God promised. Now, some will mock us. Okay, this is point one. Some will mock us saying, where is Jesus? Where is this coming? And this is getting back to the question I just asked. What about this 2000 years, Pastor Dave, that have passed and nothing's happened? How can he say that's quickly? It almost makes me doubt. Is this is this really going to happen? Well, uh, God prepared our hearts for this very kind of uh, objection. Second Peter, chapter three, verses three and four. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is this promise of his coming? For ever since our fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. And I smile whenever I read this verse, because it's like, yeah, I can see That's exactly what people are saying. It's no different 2000 years later from when this was written. People still say the exact same thing. I I saw a uh, a bumper sticker uh, recently or or a T-shirt or or both. I can't remember. Um, Maybe I saw it multiple times in different ways. And it was really, truly disrespectful. Blasphemous, unfortunately, is the word to use. Um, But it said something like Jesus is coming quickly. Look busy. Look busy. And it just made me sad, first of all, to read that. 
But the general idea, I think, that, that that person was trying to convey by that shirt or by that bumper sticker is that, you know, this really isn't going to happen. And if it was going to happen, let's just kind of look busy like, like you wouldn't be able to tell what's up, you know, look like we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. But really, I think that's probably behind what's behind it is disbelief altogether. Like the whole notion of Jesus coming again is just laughable because where is he? Everything's the same. Two thousand years have passed. When's he coming back? Okay, and that's exactly what our world says. If you talk to somebody who is an atheist, who's agnostic, whatever the case may be, who thinks this whole thing is laughable, that's probably what they'll tell you at the end of the day. This this notion of Jesus coming back. Oh, yeah. Where is he? When is he coming back? The Bible says that's going to happen. People are going to have that attitude. And it also gives us a response to that, a way for us to deal with that kind of objection, or even if that doubt arises in our own minds. However, we must not have this attitude, for God is not slow as we count slowness. The verse continues, uh, 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. For with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Getting back to that question about 2,000 years passing, it's important for us to remember that God does not see time the way we see time. Some have tried to say that God is outside of time while we are in it. I'm not even sure what that means um, when people say that, and I'm not even sure I feel comfortable describing God in that way. What God's exact relationship to time is a mystery to me, seeing as he is the creator of everything that exists But all we know from this verse and all we really need to know is that to God, time is just not as slow as we perceive it. To God, a thousand years can be as quick as a day or in quite the reverse. It says a day can be like a thousand years in God's um, mind. So it's not just that we can simply say everything sped up for God or that everything slowed down for God. It can be viewed in whatever way he chooses to view it, because he is, he is God, he's the creator of, of everything. So that means that even though it feels to us like a long time has passed, don't be discouraged by that, because God is the creator of everything. He sees the entirety of human history at once, everything that ever was and everything that ever will be. He has planned it out, he is in control of it, and he doesn't just see it unwind, he has set it into motion and interacts with it and is involved at every point in the timeline, stretching out into eternity. And so, therefore, it is not a long time in God's eyes. It is not any less certain God will bring it to pass. Um, And there will come a day. This is another encouraging thing just to look at as we think of Advent, as we celebrate it. You know, we look back at the Israelites, and, and who knows? Maybe back then they were wondering the same thing. Where is this coming of a Messiah Where is this one who is going to be born in Bethlehem or this line from Judah, especially in a time when they were exiled? Remember that there was a large period of time where Judah was in the land of Babylon or in the land of Persia, where the the nation of Israel was exiled by Assyria, where they were just in foreign nations. It must have been incredibly difficult or required a lot of faith to believe that a king would arise from the line of Jesse when the line of kings had been broken. When there was no longer any line of kings, when that all that had been, you know, taken apart. 
But now, as we look back on it, as we sit here comfortably lighting candles and just waiting a mere 25 days, we can say, well, of course it came to pass. God was faithful to his promises. And you know what? There's going to come a day. This is what I want to encourage you with. There's going to come a day where there's going to be people who live much, much further down the line in the future than we are, who will look back on this time and say, boy, they must have wondered where Jesus was when he was coming. But we can see now he came just as he said he would. He came back. And this whole timeline, this period of time we're in right now will seem as short as the Israelites time period seems to us in waiting for his first coming. That's something encouraging to think about. Until he comes, though, we must do two things, wait and remain faithful. So here's the reality. Just like the, the Israelites, we are waiting for the Messiah. That's incredibly similar. They were waiting for his first advent and we are waiting for his second. And so what are we to do in the meantime? The first one is obvious. We must wait. And in several places in the Bible, we are told to wait upon the Lord. That is a biblical principle. That everything doesn't happen just on our timeline when we want it to happen. That God has his own timeline that is planned out and is for his purpose and is ultimately good. Psalm 27. This is why we have commands like this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait on the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Habakkuk, verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards its goal and will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. I love this passage. This is really cool. I like this one, especially as we think about Christ coming back, because it's, it's got this, this tension in it, especially in verse 3. It says, um, you know, it, it hastens toward the goal. It will not fail. But then on, in the very same breath, it, this is God speaking, by the way. It says, though it tarries, wait for it. Do you see both those thoughts together? It's coming soon. Even though it's, it's seeming to take a long time, wait for it. Okay? And that's exactly the same place we are right now. In the context here, this was Habakkuk looking around at the world he was living in, saying, my own nation is just steeped in sin. God, when are you going to re resolve this? Why is there injustice everywhere? And God responds saying that I will resolve this. I will bring justice. I'm going to use the Babylonians to bring it about. And that's where God says all these things. Just wait for it. It's going to come. My promise is, is true. I've told you what's going to happen. It's definite. It's coming quickly. But even though it tarries, wait for it. I think we could apply those same words. Almost you could like transport them into the book of Revelation. And God could say the same thing to us. Jesus is coming quickly. He's coming back soon. You can bet your life on it. And even though it tarries, wait for it. Wait for it. And it will happen. Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope. And this is, again, related directly to what we're talking about. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, again, this is about our waiting for Christ's return. And it is with a positive and, and a joyous outlook. We are looking forward to the day of his coming. And in that regard, our waiting is a lot like the waiting of Advent. You see, as, as you and I celebrated the season in December, we were eagerly looking forward to Christmas. And, and for any kids who are out here tonight, maybe kids, you know, as, as you think back to December 1st, maybe that felt like a long time to you. As you were celebrating 
this Advent season, as you're looking forward to Christmas coming, maybe you're like, man, this is going to take forever. You know, December 20, 25th can't come soon enough. But here we are on the 29th, and it came, sure enough. And now that period of time seems like it, it, it just flew by. We're wondering where it went. But it finally came, and, and that reminds us of something. It reminds us that as we waited just a short time, that many people waited a long time to see Jesus. Prophets died before seeing him. In one of my favorite passages you have listed here, Balaam says in Numbers 24:17, he said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. It's a prophecy of the Messiah from a pagan prophet, no less. Pretty amazing. But it was something they waited for for a long time. He said, I see him, but not now. Hebrews eleven thirteen. It's, it's after talking about all these heroes of the faith. It says, all these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them greeted from afar. Um, seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Matthew thirteen seventeen. This is Jesus speaking. Uh, and he says, for truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Again, talking about the longing Two individuals that we could look to specifically in the Christmas season and the Christmas story of Luke uh, is Simeon and Anna. Uh, Luke two twenty two twenty five and 28. It says, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present them to the Lord. And now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Then he took him in his arms and blessed God. And the other was Anna, Luke 2, 36 through 38. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. when she was advanced in years. And then jumping ahead, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. These are just two more individuals out of thousands who are waiting their entire lives. And these two are just blessed to be alive when that finally happened. And they were very old at the time, but God granted them through his grace to be able to see this child born and to be able to hold him in their hands. And that's that's neat to think about as we think about God keeping his promises So waiting for Christmas at Advent is a small picture of how we now wait for Christ's return. Celebrating Advent in that sense looks backwards and forwards, you realize. Because we look backwards to a time where people were waiting an awfully long amount of time. But yet we also look forward because it reminds us of our own waiting for the second Advent. So it does both. It goes in both directions. And it's, it's also good to know as we celebrated Advent that there's nothing wrong with longing for Jesus's return. What I mean by that is it's possible for us to long for something without necessarily being impatient. And the way we know that is that many Old Testament saints um, long to see the day of Jesus's coming. Again, Matthew 13, 17, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it. It doesn't mean they were sinning. They were simply looking forward to the day that was to come. And in like manner, the saints in Revelation who are killed for their faith cry out, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? We see that in Revelation. 
When they opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar souls that had been slain, for the word of God and the witness that had been born. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Again, I don't think these individuals are sinning. In fact, they have now died. Okay, that, that possibility has been removed from them. Uh, so, too, we shouldn't feel bad in longing for the day of the Lord. You shouldn't feel bad if, if you look around at the world or, you know, that you're in, just world events or even maybe your own situation at work, people's dishonesty, just things falling apart. And you say, boy, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. I long for that day. Nothing sinful about that at all. You have the example of many people before you have longed for the same thing. And our waiting shouldn't bring uh, despair, but rather excitement. Um, think of the excitement of Advent. When we celebrated that, we weren't like, oh, man, it's never going to get here. You know, this is such a long time to wait. December 25th. This is just the beginning of the month. It's going to take so long. There's really no point in decorating. It's going to take forever. Uh, there's there's no point in hanging up the lights or hanging up decorations or even going out and buying a tree. That's all pointless. It's going to take forever. No, we didn't say that. Um, we were eager. Looking forward to that day made us eager to, to see it happen. And so we not only wait for the day impatiently, but we're eager to see it coming. There's excitement that we see in the Old Testament in waiting for the Messiah. John 8:56. Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And you recognize Abraham never saw it, right? He never literally saw Jesus, but he looked forward to that day and was glad. And we should be excited as well. Revelation 21. Um, and, and, and here we find the description of the new heavens and new earth. That should bring you excitement. As you are finishing up your Bible through in a year, if you've gotten that far, as you read these last chapters, they should excite you. This is your future home we're talking about. And it should make us just overjoyed when we think about what's waiting for us. We should not only wait, but we also must get to work. In our last few minutes here together, um, Jesus said that we have a mission to go and make disciples. The angel said, why do you stand here looking at the sky in, in Acts chapter 1? They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? The same Jesus who had been taken up from you in heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. I love that passage. It's one that I like to just read and I chuckle a little bit because it's almost like they're saying, what are you doing here? It's, it's a bit of humor in the Bible. I, I like to think of it as it's like there's work to be done, you know, and, and they were probably like, well, we just saw a man rise up into the sky and disappear. That doesn't happen every day. And they're like, yeah, get to work, you know. OK, that's fascinating. Get a move on. OK. And and and, and so we see this idea that. We're not just supposed to be looking into, into the sky, literally or metaphorically, just waiting for this to happen, doing nothing. We have a job to do. And, and knowing that we don't know the time, we should be about it. Um, Jesus left us with a great commission, Matthew 28. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. However long that takes, if it takes another 2,000 or 5,000 or 10,000, or however many years it takes, he is with us until the very end of that age, whenever that may be. God has simply left us with this, to endure to the end. Matthew 24:13. but the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
In 1 Thessalonians 5, Now the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day will come like a thief in the night. And, uh, and it goes on from there. Um, verse 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Okay? And so also verse 10, uh, Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are already doing. So just like at Christmas, when we see it approaching, what do we do? We prepare. We put up lights. We give gifts to others. We go and buy our presents, whatever we need to do. We prepare our hearts, too. We talk about Jesus coming into the world and what that means. We prepare ourselves. So the conclusion to all this is that as we celebrated Advent, I don't want you just to be let down now that that season is over and say, well, great. Now, what do I have to look forward to? Just a lot of work, just a lot of depressing things happening in the world and and a lot of uncertainties. No, I think you should look back at the way we celebrated and use it as a model for the future, because we're looking forward to something even greater. And that is Christ coming back a second time to bring to a culmination everything to defeat Satan once and for all, to resurrect us, to live with him forever in the new heavens and new earth and for him to reign over us. That's exciting. So as we look forward, let's do so with joy. Let's do so with expectation and with faith, knowing that if he's made his promises and kept them in the past, he will in the future. That's reason to celebrate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we conclude this Christmas season and this month, may we not leave with, with a, a depressed feeling, wondering what's next. But God, may we leave with joy, knowing that you have fulfilled your promises, that you did send your son into the world. And as we look back on these historical events that happened so long ago, we see that you are true and you are faithful to your promises. And we know that the promises that you have made to us that are still yet to be fulfilled will come to pass. So help us, Lord, to look forward to that day with anticipation and be filled with joy as we do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.